a couple of weeks ago, we did a, a, a two-part series on um, John the Baptist. And I said then that one of the ways I love reading the scripture is I love reading uh, characters and reading stories about characters because I think every single person almost has been put in there for our edification, to teach us something. And so often the way God deals with people um, is, is the way he deals with us. He speaks to us today. And, uh, and today, uh, as I said a couple of weeks ago, for two weeks we looked at John the Baptist. And today I want to look at Elijah. And uh, his story can be found um, where we're in 1 Kings 18, really 1 Kings 19, if you want to follow it uh, to make sure I'm not making stuff up. And if nobody's following me, the temptation to make stuff up might be too great. Um, so that might be an idea for somebody too. And uh, I, again, I love the story of Elijah because of, of the lessons for today, the lessons for us today. And a little bit of background. Uh, it was, in those days, Israel had turned from God and Ahab, who became king, uh, did not follow God and he married Jezebel and she worshipped an idol called Baal, and they brought Baal worship into the heart of Israel. And more than that, um, what they did is they persecuted those that were following the Lord, and they put to death many of the prophets in Israel, the prophets of God. And it was one of the darkest times in Israel's history, in Israel's story. And what I have noticed is regularly... Uh, when we get to the darkest time, God raises people up to turn things around. And we saw that um, with uh, um, John the Baptist, uh, how uh, Israel was in a terrible state. The Romans had conquered. Uh, they didn't have control of their own nation. Uh, they were persecuted. They were just a colony. And then came John the Baptist, a voice crying in the wilderness, crying in the desert, and how God used John the Baptist at that time. Well, it was the same with Elijah. And, and so often, uh, what I've noticed is, is God's address is at the end of our rope. It's when we come to the end of ourselves, that's where we see God. That's his address, as it were. And this is what happened in the time of Israel. And just like John the Baptist years later, Elijah turned up and he was God's man of faith and power. I mean, God used him in the most amazing ways. He was strong. He was mighty. He was full of faith. He changed everything. He reminds me of me. <laughs> and, uh, and we see in uh, 1 Kings 18... Uh, uh, Elijah has this amazing battle with the 450 prophets of Baal. And uh, Elijah has, had announced a drought in Israel that the Lord told him to. And there was no rain in Israel until Elijah said. And uh, in the middle of this drought, Elijah came and confronted King Ahab. And they gathered on the top of Mount Carmel. And it was a contest between Elijah, God's prophet, and the 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah looked at the 450 in opposition and he thought to himself, I like the odds. Because one person plus God is always a majority. Always a majority. It's God's version of democracy. 
don't tell Donald Trump. And, uh, and, and uh, Elijah, was, it's like he said to himself, uh, I like the odds. And the contest was that the prophets of Baal would build an altar and put a sacrifice on it, and then they would call down fire from Baal, from their God, to burn the sacrifice, and they shouted and they called, but no, no fire came on their sacrifice. And Elijah started to taunt them. He said, shout louder. Maybe your God's deaf. Maybe he's asleep. I mean, he was such a cocky guy. I tell you, it was Elijah. He was, he was so confident in his God that he was taunting them. And then when it came to it and they failed, Elijah built his altar and he put the sacrifice on his altar. And in order to make it even more difficult, or should I say more obvious, Elijah poured loads of water on his sacrifice and then he prayed and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and even licked up the water. And Elijah defeated 450 prophets of Baal and the mighty man of God, he, he, he had them, he, he sorted them out, he killed them and, uh, and there he was. He won this great triumph against the enemies of Israel. What a man, what a man. It was like he'd been the main speaker and worship leader at New Wine, Spring Harvest and Focus all together. It was like he just, he just won a great victory in, in his work. He'd become managing director and chairman of the board. It was like he'd just become the new prime minister. Whatever it was, it was amazing. What a man. And listen to what happens straight after. In 1 Kings 19, I'm going to begin reading at verse 3. But just before I do, what happens before is Jezebel sends a message to Elijah saying, you know what, I'm not finished. I'm going to get you, Elijah. And then we read, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servants there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. What happened here? The great, just a few, uh, like a few moments ago, as it were. He was the great man of God. Single-handedly, he defeated 450 prophets of Baal. And then he's, he's here and, and he's, he's wanting to die. He's wanting to commit suicide. He's saying, I'm all on my own. And he, he's, he, he's just in a, in a terribly, terribly depressed state. And... I'm no better than my ancestors. What happened to your self-confidence? What happened to your significance? What happened to your security? What happened to your self-worth? I'm useless. I'm, 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 I'm no better than, than anyone who came before me. You've just won a mighty victory. What happened? It's the same as we read uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago about John the Baptist, you know, who recognized Jesus when, when they were both in their mother's wombs who pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist, who 
who confronted the Pharisees and called them whitewashed walls and, and all sorts of stuff. And then when he's in prison, he sends a message to Jesus, are you the one that we were to expect or should we wait for another? I'm not sure if you're, it's you anymore. And then Jesus rebukes him and says, go and tell John, you know, all that you see happening and blessed is the person who does not take offense because of me. Ouch. This is what happened to Elijah. How can this happen? Well, it can happen in the same way it happens to every single one of us, isn't it? Haven't you been there? I have, lots of times. You have a mountaintop experience and, and everything's going right. You've, you've prayed for someone and they got healed. Uh, you talked to someone and they were open to the gospel or, or a relative became a Christian or you went to some event and you encountered the Lord or, or um, you, 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 you've, you felt the Lord saying that, that you were gonna get promoted at work and you didn't see how and it happened or whatever it might be, whatever it might be and, and you're buzzing and then the next thing You've collapsed inside. And the trouble is, it's great to visit the tops of mountains. You get a great view occasionally from the top of the mountain. You can get your vision restored, but you can't live there. Nothing grows on the tops of mountains. Where things grow is in the valleys. And when you go from the mountain top to the valley, Sometimes in the valley, you can hit rock bottom. And so often, it's straight after you've had a mountaintop experience. I can't tell you the number of times after we finished our summer festivals over the years, I'd come home and I would be going up the wall. And it would be like, I just spent five weeks, six weeks seeing God do amazing things. Why am I feeling like this? Well, you know what? When, when, you've, when you've had a mountaintop experience and you inevitably come down because you can't stay there, I don't know if it's that the anointing lifts or the adrenaline stops running, but suddenly you, you, you have the payback. And this is what happened to Elijah. And, and how does the Lord deal with it? What I want to look at this morning is is three ways in the Lord met with Elijah in his depression, in his struggle, in his sense of life is empty. And here's the first way. Do you know, Elijah says, uh, uh, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. So he was saying, I'm going to kill myself. Before he could do it, he fell asleep. <laughs> and then we read this. All at once, the angel of the Lord touched him and said, Elijah, you need to pray more. You need to read the Bible more. When was the last time you witnessed to someone? Are you tithing? Are you tithing gross or net? Elijah, you really need to serve others more. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say any of that. Do you know what he says? Here's the first thing, lesson. All at once, 
the angel of the Lord touched him and said, get up and eat. <laughs> I'm expositing scripture here. The Lord said, get up and eat. It is biblical. <laughs> it is biblical. That's the first thing that the Lord says. And, and why did he say that first? Because Elijah was knackered. I remember years ago when I was a young youth worker at St. Andrew's Chorley Wood and, and I'd overdone it and I was not feeling great and I, was, and I thought, I'm, I'm spiritually depressed. I think that's what it is. I self-diagnosed. And uh, I thought, oh, I'm just not right. So I went to one of my mentors a guy called Barry Kissel, and I said, Barry, I, I'm spiritually depressed. What do you think I should do? And I was sure he would say, come on, Mike, you need to pray more. You need to spend more time. You need to do this. You need to do that. Barry looked at me, and he said, what you need to do is go home, open a bottle of wine, have a glass, get a takeaway, and watch a good movie. And I was like, really? Really? I'm not paying for that sort of advice. How's, that's not very spiritual. Sometimes we try to be more spiritual than God. Sometimes we try to be more spiritual than God. He gave us our physical bodies and he knows when we're tired. Guys, it's really hard to pray for an hour and a half when all you want to do is sleep. It's really hard, isn't it? If we're honest, it's hard to pray for five minutes when all you want to do is sleep. When you're hungry, when you're thirsty, when you're exhausted, when you're depleted. And God knows. So the first thing he says to Elijah, he says, sleep. And then while Elijah was asleep, the Lord sent um, a couple of angels from the catering corps. And they cooked, made some cake and some San Pellegrino water. And the Lord says, Elijah, rise up, eat and drink, and then have another sleep. Do you see? Do you see the first thing, the first of Elijah's needs that the Lord met was his physical needs. He said, before you do anything else, I'm not gonna put burdens on you. Have some cake, have some sparkling water, have a sleep, and then after that, he sends him, he takes him uh, up Mount Horeb. Elijah had just been to the top of Mount Carmel, where that Mount Carmel is, is uh, the mountain of victory. It's the mountain of power. But for every Mount Carmel, we've got to have a Mount Horeb. And Mount Horeb is the mountain of encounter. It was Mount Horeb that, that the Lord met with Moses. Uh, it was Mount... Uh, when, when they talked, it was Mount Horeb where the burning bush was. It was there. And so the Lord says, now that you've got your strength back, your physical strength back, I'm going to take you up to Mount Horeb. And then we read this. Verse 11 of 1 Kings 19. The Lord said, oh, I've got to go beforehand. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Eli he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant 
torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah had the most wonderful pity party and he only needed himself to have it. He sucked his thumb. You know, I've worked so hard. I've been so zealous for the Lord God. You know, I've just, you know, while other people in this church have, have gloried about titles, I have just been serving in my humble way and I'm just a member of the team, a humble member of the team. And I've given of myself and I've, I've, I've done everything. Oh, I've been so zealous for the Lord my God. And I'm the only one left who really loves you. I'm the only one left who really gets it. I'm the only one left who has good theology. And they're all trying to kill me. <laughs> the Lord said to Elijah, go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went over and stood at the mouth of the cave. Listen to this. There was a mighty earthquake, a great wind and a raging fire, and the Lord was not in them. And when you get used to meeting God on the mountaintops, in, in, in the great experiences, at the great conferences or camps or the great meeting or whatever it might be, you know, you, 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 God needs to show you that that's not it. That's it sometimes. Sometimes I'm in the earthquake, but not always. Sometimes in the wind, but not now. And if Elijah maybe could accept that God wasn't in the earthquake and the wind. I'll tell you where he found it hard to accept that God wasn't in the fire. How can you not be in the fire? You were just a few days ago on Mount Carmel when I called down fire from heaven. You were in the fire. And you know what? That's our danger. Sometimes we allow the experience of God we had yesterday to cloud our minds so we think that's how he has to meet with us tomorrow. God was in the fire, so he'll be in the fire. It doesn't work like that. And do you know what God was saying to Elijah? He was saying, hey, it's not in the mountaintop experiences. You'll hear my gentle whisper in the valley, in the mundane, in the boring, in the lonely, where it's quiet, that's where you'll hear my gentle whisper. And my gentle whisper is all the time. The earthquake and the wind and the fire only really happens up there. But in real life, this is my gentle whisper. So the first thing that God does is he answers Elijah's physical needs. The second thing he does is he answers Elijah's uh, spiritual needs. And his spiritual need, which is really important, which is, I just, I, just, I just need you. And do you know for us, 
the trick is learning to meet God every day, every moment in the still small voice, the gentle whisper. If we wait for the earthquake, wind and fire, we will always be dry. We will always be depleted. You know, they're great experiences occasionally, but they don't sustain you. They don't sustain you. We need today's manna. We need today's bread of life. And today's bread of life can come now. It can come at eight o'clock in the morning. It can come at three o'clock in the morning when you can't sleep. His gentle whisper, his still small voice. And, and it's learning to listen. It's learning to listen. It's learning to still our hearts so that, so that we hear him. And, and so, after he comes in the gentle whisper, he asks the question again. Then a voice said to Elijah, what are you doing here, Elijah? This is the third time God's asked him. This is the third time. First time, under the broom tree. Second time, when he takes him to Mount Horeb. Third time now. And it's the same answer. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. Um, the Israelites have rejected your covenant, like I haven't told you this already, uh, and you don't know, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. He says the same thing. It's like, Elijah, what's wrong with you? Do you know, often when we get into a funk, when we get into a low place, even when God begins to speak to us, even when God begins to restore us, it takes time for our minds to be renewed. I don't know about you, but it's like, why am I feeling like this? I have no reason to now, but I'm still feeling it, and it takes time. And do you know what's amazing about God? I used to love um, reading in the Bible when God answered every people's questions. Now, if anything, I love more reading the questions that God asks of his people because they're very revealing. They're very relieving. You know, the best counselors, the best psychotherapists are not the ones that give you the answers. They're the ones that ask you the great questions that help you to see what's going on. Well, that's my experience anyway. You know, they're the ones that that they, 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 they show you that's what it is. That's what, it, and this is what God does. Elijah, you can tell me again. Go on, tell me how it is. Tell me how it is. So, God has answered Elijah's need for physical need, his body, his spiritual need, intimacy with you. It's about intimacy with you that is there all the time and not on the special occasions. And then he answers Elijah's emotional need. But just before he does, and I love this, when Elijah says for the third time, I'm the only one left, God says to him, and I paraphrase here, oh, by the way, Elijah, you know you've been keep telling me you're the only one left. Um, yeah. Well, actually, there's 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. There's 7,000 others. When I first read that, my question was, Lord, why did you wait all that time to tell him? You'd have saved yourself an awful lot of boring stuff 
an awful lot of moaning if you'd have told him at the beginning. The reason he didn't tell him at the beginning is because if Elijah knew that there were 7,000 others, he wouldn't have recognized his need for the gentle whisper, for the still small voice, for intimacy with God. You see, what we need is not, first of all, to be in a crowd. We need to be with him. We need to be with him. And after, after the intimate encounter, God says, and by the way, now that it doesn't matter like it did, actually, actually, you're not on your own. There's 7,000 others. And then he says uh, to Elijah, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go back. Go back to the place of your defeat. Go back different. I'm going back with you. You now know that I'm going back with you. And do you know, here's where he answers Elijah's final need, his emotional need. When he goes back down from the mountain, the first person he meets is Elisha. And Elisha gets rid of his oxen and he follows Elijah from then on and they become friends. And Elisha is with Elijah from that moment until Elijah is taken up to heaven. God provides his physical needs under the broom tree, cake and sparkling water, his spiritual needs in the gentle whisper, and then in his emotional needs in Elisha. He's been moaning, I'm all alone, I'm lonely. Okay, first of all, you need me. First of all, it's me, but you're built as I made you physically, I made you with emotional needs. It's not good for any human being to be alone. I'll give you, I'll give you someone to, to do the ministry with you, to do the journey with you. I'll give you a companion so you're no longer on your own. And I tell you, and I finish with this, uh, for me, um, I, I, I'm actually a massive introvert and I love living on my own, I really do. I, I am my favorite company. I mean, I have such fun with me um, you know, and usually over, over meals that I eat with myself. And, uh, and, and you know what? Most of the time, I, I, I love it. But sometimes, even for massive introverts, there are moments where it's hard. There are moments where it can hurt a bit. And, and uh, one of those is, is sometimes when I come back, I mentioned earlier, coming back from the, a summer of festivals, and then feeling empty. And, and part of that is the adrenaline stops. And do and you know that it's not good to run on adrenaline all the time. It's really unhealthy. Speak to any medical person, any doctor. You can't, you can't be, if you become an adrenaline junkie, it's the way to have a heart condition, you know. And, and to come off the, the adrenaline um, means that for a while, it, you, you, you hit a low. And it's going through that. But for me, uh, sometimes I, I remember there'd be times I would be coming home from a meeting and the Lord would have done stuff. He'd have met with people. And just on the car home, I can feel my, I'm going low. And it's like, why am I feeling low? I just saw you do wonderful things, Jesus. I just saw you meet with people. and wonder, What is it? And then I'd go home and, and I'd be restless and I'd feel empty and, and I wouldn't know what to do with myself and all of that. Well, there was one time, it was years ago, it was many years ago, 
Um, I was coming home from one such meeting, and as I was driving back, uh, it'd been a busy few few weeks, and and I could just feel, I could just feel um, myself just just going into one of those troughs, and uh, I could have turned left to go home, and then um, I remembered that um, uh, uh, my friends Dennis and Miriam Lazell uh, lived on the end of the road. If I turn right, and Miriam is here. Dennis obviously um, isn't spirit. Oh, he's here, is he? Oh, he's next door. He's not. Bless him. He's with the children. Um, all those poor kids. Uh, <laughs> Lord, examine your. No, <laughs> um, I shouldn't say that even as a joke. Um, but I, and, and it was about ten thirty at night, and I thought I can't knock on their door at ten thirty at night. I mean, they're elderly. I mean, they were elderly years ago. And, uh, <laughs> and I can't. And I thought, you know what I'll do? I'll just drive by. And if the lights are on downstairs, uh, I might knock on the door. I drove by and the lights were on downstairs. So I drove up the drive and I knocked on the door and Miriam answered the door. And she said, hi, Mike. How lovely to see you. Come in. Um, I'm just making a cup of cocoa uh, for Dennis and myself. Would you like one? And I thought something stronger would have been nice. <laughs> Christians. Um, but I said, oh, all my life I've been waiting for a cup of cocoa. And anyway, and she said, Dennis is in the living room. I went and sat in the living room with Dennis. And Dennis used to referee football games. And he told me about the latest person he'd sent off and what he did and how awful he was. And he should have been jailed and all of that sort of stuff. And, and then we talked about the gardening. And then we talked about various other things. And then Miriam came in and... We chatted about nothing in particular. And then about, after about 30, 45 minutes, uh, Dennis said, well, it's been great to chat. It's been lovely to see you. Why don't we just say a prayer before we all go to bed? And we stood up, put our arms around each other, and Dennis prayed, thank you, Lord, for our fellowship. Thank you for our friendship. Give us all a good night's sleep. Amen. And then they saw me to the door, and uh, they waved me off as I got in the car. And as I got in the car, I realized not once had they asked me how I was. And yet, as I left, I was floating on air. I was, the air had just lifted. And what had happened was, a few weeks earlier, I'd been giving a talk. And as an aside, I mentioned that sometimes when I come home from meetings, I can feel a bit low and it can be a bit hard going home on my own. And Miriam came up to me straight afterwards and she said, the next time you feel like that, I don't care what time it is, you come and give a knock on to D Dennis and I. Doesn't matter what time, you knock on our door. Um, you don't, we, I don't, we don't want you going home on your own like that. They didn't ask me how I was because they didn't need to. They knew why I was there at 10.30 at night. And they were for me exactly what I needed them to be. Just my friends. They didn't try and psychoanalyze me. They didn't try and work out what I should do with my life. They were just, we just talked about sending people off and growing roses. We just did the normal stuff and it changed everything. God provides for us if we have eyes to see. This stuff that I've been describing that Elijah went through, we all go through. We all go through. After the mountaintop experiences, we can hit the lows. Three things God wants to do. 
if we will let him. Attend to our physical needs. Have a sleep, man. Sleep in. Go to bed. Just, just have a nice meal. Our spiritual needs. The gentle whisper. The mountain of encounter. And not just the mountain of victory. And thirdly, our emotional needs. And our needs for brothers and sisters. That's why he provides church. That's what this is about. And we've got to work on that. We've got to work on that. Because it doesn't fall off trees. It's, you know, it's, we work at building those friendships that sustain us. And it's asking God, show me, Lord. Show me who I can have that kind of relationship with.